This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Recovery and rebuilding efforts are underway on Maui, a month after deadly fires swept across the Hawaiian island. At least 115 people were killed, and thousands were displaced by the fires which began in the town of Lahaina. While all of the area affected by fires has been searched, Maui police said Friday 66 people are unaccounted for. Along with the homes and businesses lost to the fires on Maui, cultural institutions are also struggling to rebuild. Tori Ho'opi is a resident of Lahaina. She spoke to Hawaii Public Radio last month about the devastation in her hometown. It's devastating. It's actually like something you would see out of a movie that you can't believe that something that's happening to your hometown. You know, like people fleeing for their lives, jumping in the oceans as they're watching Lahaina town, Front Street, and the harbor being burnt. I'm just like, oh my gosh. It's heartbreaking because that's like your historical town and the first capital of the Hawaiian kingdom is gone now. In the 19th century, Lahaina served as the first capital of the Hawaiian kingdom. It was also the home and burial place of the Hawaiian royal family. A network of community leaders has kept Lahaina's cultural history intact, but with the fires came the destruction of that sacred land. Later on in the show, we talk about the impact of the cultural loss due to the Maui wildfires. We also discuss what rebuilding and recovery means for Native Hawaiians. After the break, we start with an update on the wildfires from Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. Let's get into the conversation. Joining me for an update on Maui is Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Senator, welcome back to 1A. Good to be with you. At the onset of the fire, the missing persons list swelled to 2,000 people. That's been reduced significantly. But what work is yet to be done to account for everyone? I know that uh, there are people continuing to come forward saying that they are not, they should not be included among the missing. Uh, And then the identifying of the remains continues. It is an arduous, arduous process to identify the, the people who were lost to the flames. And is there the financial and manpower support necessary to do that work? Is that all available? As far as uh, as I know, that there have been a lot of additional support that's given to, for example, the identifying of the remains, uh, Health and Human Services. Javier Bacero was there because part of his uh, department handles that kind of work. And so I believe that there are people there. They, they possibly could use more help. But uh, this is, uh, as I said, arduous work, seven to seven, 
uh, is what is going on when I visited uh, that process. I want to go back to the immediate response to the fire. A lot went wrong in those early hours. Sirens failed to sound that would have alerted residents in Maui. There were power and cellular outages and roadblocks left people stranded on motorways. What do we know about why those communications failed? Those are some of the questions that need to be answered. At the same time, I want to make sure that we're very much focused on the need for resources for recovery. As you mentioned in the beginning of this segment, that uh, the loss of historical, uh, the history of Lahaina is very much an area of focus. And so going forward, I want to make sure that uh, the, the visioning process includes the Native Hawaiian voices and values. Uh, there will be time, believe me, for all of the finger pointing and uh, what went wrong. At the same time, I know that that uh, there are other counties, for example, when I visited the mayor of Kauai after this wildfire on, in Maui, that he is reviewing what they've got in place for making sure that they are preventing and mitigating these kinds of uh, disasters. And I would say that every island, every county should be also undergoing the, that kind of review. I would imagine the recovery process would include better preparation if an event like this ever happens again. Is there a formalized process in place to go through the process of figuring out what went wrong and and making sure there's accountability? Well, for example, the the Inflation Reduction Act provided some $300 billion to fight uh, wildfires and uh, climate change, which I think was very much a part of the course of events for this disaster. Uh, so there's $300 billion that, that uh, is available. I know that the county, again, county of Kauai, uh, got some grant money to uh, deal with wildfire preparation. But that is very much on every county's minds, every mayor, and of course the governor and uh, the legislature, county councils. Officials had been warning about wildfires on Maui for years. Fire departments had long been urging people in fire-prone areas to be ready in case of wildfire. However, the state of Hawaii didn't have any guidance on its website for how to evacuate or respond to the threat of wildfires. From your perspective, how prepared was Maui for this disaster? This disaster happened in in literally a flash um, within minutes when the flames start to spread. Um, because of the conditions that were there and the, the, the winds uh, going 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. So um, I am not going to you know, opine about what could have been done. Certainly the, the investigations will, will really enable us to, to make sure that we, can, we do everything we can to prevent the kind of conditions that existed, such as very dry conditions, the existence of a fallow lands that, uh, that had grasses that burned and burst into flames and uh, uh, were whipped through the town because of the high winds. So there are things that we have to be doing in every, as I said, it is incumbent upon the, uh, all of the counties and, in fact, the entire state of Hawaii to review its evacuation plans and everything that people should know. Uh, there are just uh, so many lessons to be learned from this horrific tragedy. But at the same time, what I'm very focused on is to make sure that the federal resources continue to be there to enable us to, to recover. That is going to take time and resources, starting with the, uh, the money that's going to go for FEMA, uh, the $4 billion more that the president asked for FEMA uh, as, as we go forward. So the passage of, of that 
uh, appropriation is very critical to Maui's recovery, as well as it's not just Maui, but there have been other disasters in our country. Well, more than 1,900 homes burned down in the fire with more than 5,000 people displaced. 78 temporary and long-term housing units were burned down. Now, Hawaii has the country's fifth highest rate of homelessness. What plans so far are in place to help those who were unhoused before the fire, as well as those who are displaced as a result of the fires? The cost of housing in Hawaii has been always one of our major challenges. And what we need to uh, do is to have the federal, state, local, as well as nonprofit segment really focus on what we can do, especially in my view, to provide more affordable rentals. It's an ongoing issue, and I note that Marsha Fudge, our HUD secretary, released some $1 million for Hawaii to deal with or better address our homeless situation. But it's going to require all of the governmental entities to, to, to work on what we can do to provide more affordable housing in Hawaii. It's, it's an issue that impacts not just Hawaii, but just about every other city in our country. What are you hearing right now, Senator, from your constituents about their most urgent concerns? If it's in regard to Maui, urgent concerns uh, going forward, how are we going to go through the process of envisioning what, uh, what Lahaina should look like and to make sure that that process very much reflects the importance of Lahaina to the Native Hawaiian community. So that process, what I would call the envisioning process, must include the Native Hawaiian uh, elders, our kupuna, and that is one of the reasons that uh, FEMA has contracted with the Native Hawaiian Kupuna to make sure that as we clear that area that we are doing so with the appropriate protocols in place, just as when President Biden and First Lady visited that they observed the appropriate protocols before he embarked on his visit to Lahaina. We're going to head to a quick break. Coming up, we discuss more of the impact of climate change on Hawaii. Back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the discussion. Senator, we were talking about climate change. Hawaii has been experiencing a decline in yearly rainfall for decades. According to data released last month by the U.S. Drought Monitor, almost 16% of Maui County is in severe drought, in severe drought rather. Uh, you mentioned the funds available through the Inflation Reduction Act to help address climate change and, and climate resiliency. What specific practices or policies would you like to see going forward? Oh, I'd say clearly that um, 
when there are very dry conditions, where when there are high winds, a better understanding of those conditions that uh, enable this wildfire in Lahaina to spread as quickly as it did. And then um, making it very clear that when these conditions are there, that the community is on high alert, as well as the fire departments. There are probably a number of of lessons that we can take from there. But as I said, uh, first and foremost is uh, how are we going to go forward? How are we going to enable some six or 7,000 people who are living in hotels and Airbnbs? What are the longer term uh, housing that will be provided for them and the affordability of all, all that kind of housing, as well as uh, um, so many other uh, aspects of what we need to be doing, including, by the way, what I call the visioning process that will enable the people of Lahaina to uh, come forward and have their voices and their values reflected in rebuilding Lahaina. And as people consider traveling to Hawaii for vacation, we know um, parts of Maui will be reopened in early October. What would you say to those who are considering um, being tourists? I'm often asked, what can we do to support Lahaina's recovery, keep Maui strong, Lahaina strong, etc.? And one of the ways is for people to go to the hawaiicommunityfoundation.org. That's where I have been suggesting a lot of people go. And um, there is a special fund for uh, Maui recovery. That's one way people can help. In addition, the governor and others, uh, mayor of Maui, have asked people, please come back and visit. But at the same time, I would say that when you do visit Maui to help with their uh, uh, economic recovery, to be very sensitive to the fact that there are uh, people uh, on Maui in, in particular who are in great pain. Uh, with the loss of their loved ones, as well as an entire town. So we welcome the visitors, but uh, please do so with great sensitivity to the losses and pain that people there are uh, experiencing. That's Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Senator, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you very much. Let's bring two new voices into the conversation now. Joining us is Kuuvehi Hiraishi. She's a general assignment reporter at Hawaii Public Radio and a founding member of the Hawaiian Journalists Association. And she joins us from Honolulu. Kuuvehi, welcome to the program. Aloha, mahalo for having me. Also with us from New York is Jessica Mushado. She's a journalist and the author of the memoir, Local, a look into her Hawaiian heritage and Hawaii's culture and history. Jessica, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Kuuvehi, you've been reporting on the fire since the start. What are you hearing at this moment from people on Maui? The sentiments from from those impacted is exactly kind of what you'd expect to hear for someone who's gone through so much this incredible destruction and, and traumatic event, but shock, grief, frustration, and anxiety over what's uh, to come next. What is keeping people tied to Lahaina right now, especially those who are living without electricity or in temporary housing. It's really that that strong sense of of kuleana or or responsibility to their homeland and to their fellow community members, right? It's how can I be a part of what's going on? Where's my purpose? And uh, many are finding that in... um, in helping others in their community. And that's, it's can't get much better than that community resilience at Mm. this point. How is that resilience and that sense of responsibility for, for one another? How is that 
coexisting or existing alongside the generational trauma that it's that these fires are bringing up? That's a good. That's a good question. I, I think that a lot of processing, you know, is going, is happening when it comes to that generational trauma. Being able to see that, okay, my community member is taken care of. That's helping. I have a purpose, and I'm going to keep that going. Especially for folks, I spoke to a Lahaina resident uh, whose son is uh, i think he's an 18 year old and he was thinking okay if i'm i'm going through this trauma i don't want my the next generation or my child to go through this trauma so i'm going to do as much as i can to to make things right for him and it's that you know uh, thinking about uh, everyone else that i think is really keeping folks going mm-hmm. Jessica as someone who is hawaiian but not living on the islands what went through your mind when you first heard the news about the fires it's hard. You know, I also, you know, I'm a journalist and I work in the news and I never stop being sensitive to this stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially it's my own community. I had a hard time watching the footage or seeing any of the imagery, but the things that stood out to me was the fact that there were people jumping into the ocean. Like there was no clear warning, obviously. Um, you know, these people, these locals had nowhere to go or what to do. And, you know, as a Kanaka, as a journalist, I immediately thought, you know, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. This is a confluence of things that led to this moment. Um, Sure, there's the winds from the hurricane that are likely connected to climate change. Um, There's definitely poor decisions and some negligence um, from the state and from the electric company. Um, But more than anything else, the thing that stood out to me was the negligence of the land, the Aina, which is tied to colonialism. Those conditions that Senator Hirono talked about earlier, those are conditions from colonialism. Your book, Local, is about identity, and you write about how important the land is to Native Hawaiian identity. Why is that legacy so important to understand when we talk about Lahaina and its future? Yeah, I mean, the Aina is our spirituality. Um, It is, you know, we are nothing without the aina, without the land. Um, And if you, you know, spent any time in Hawaii, you'd understand why. I mean, look at any mountain. (laughs) They're like, they're, you know, there's like seven different shades of green and different vegetation. There's crags in it that are so storied. There's, you know, little, when it rains, water makes little waterfalls down the sides of it. You know, there's like a you know, even in the pavement, like you'll see a weed grow out of nowhere because the land just wants to thrive, you know. Um, and so the destruction of the land is, is, is a lot. I mean, there's obviously like people losing their homes and losing family members. That's huge. Um, but the land itself is a huge part of who we are as Kanaka people. And, um, and I think, you know... Some of the things that, uh, you know, in the in recent years, there's been or try to be the return to some of these like Hawaiian practices that have been lost in Lahaina. And one of them was growing kalo, which is um, taro. And it's like our, the sustenance of Native Hawaiian peoples. And um, and I saw this photo on Instagram by an academic, a Hawaiian ac- academic, and uh and it was this, like, in the ashes, in the, like, total rubble, there was this little sprout 
of Kahlo growing from like this total destruction. And it's like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a Kahlo plant, but they have like these heart-shaped leaves and they face towards the sun. And it was like, you know, more than like hope. What I saw in that picture was that like the land wants to return to what it's supposed to do. The land wants to thrive, you know. Kuhuvehi, Lahaina has a long history. Help us understand the significance of the region in Hawaiian culture. All right, Lahaina has been home to Native Hawaiian royalty, actually dating back even further to the 1500s when it was home to Maui's high chief, Pi'ilani. And, you know, part of the reason Lahaina was the capital and the seat of, of governance and power was because of its abundance of, of water. So you can't tell by the current infrastructure in place, but Lahaina was uh, formerly the Venice of the Pacific. Mm-hmm. It was famed for its lush environment, uh, natural and cultural resources, and there were uh, lo'ikalo, so taro patches uh, that were filled with water and fish ponds all along that Front Street area of Lahaina. And that uh, abundance of water was really uh, a lure uh, for for those in, in governance and power to really uh, have it uh, sh- uh, shape our, our uh, governing structures. So when it became the Hawaiian Kingdom, uh, the capital of the Hawaiian Kingdom in the early 1800s, you know, that was a time of tremendous change, the arrival of Westerners, Christian missionaries, and that move from an absolute monarchy to a constitutional one. All those changes were shaped by Lahaina, its people and its Aina. Hundreds of cultural artifacts were stored in Maui's Nai Akanu Cultural and Research Center. It burned down in the fires. Nolani Ahia told Hawaii Public Radio about the moment she spoke to master woodworker and museum caretaker Uncle Sam Ka'ai about what was lost to the fires. The thing about it is that, you know, like he, he said after after we told him and he was very upset, but he said, you know, they're they're just they're just physical physical things you know the main thing is that our ohanas are safe but those physical things were his effort to address historical trauma in his way by putting back together the pieces of our culture many of which had been lost and so all all of those things even though they're just physical objects they carry not only his mana but the mana of our ancestors and the ike of our ancestors and and that is what we lost Ko'uvehi, how is Lahaina dealing with the loss of this cultural institution? It has brought a lot of the community together. Na'aikani Omaui Cultural Center and Uncle Sam Ka'ai's work specifically have sort of been, uh, you know, a bright spot over the last 50 or so years where we've seen Native Hawaiians restore or attempt to restore cultural practices, revitalize the Native tongue, and rebuild that that sense of Native Hawaiian identity, uh, right? And a lot of uh, success has come from it. So when we think about uh, the Maui wildfires' impact on those efforts, it's, you know, it's a huge setback. And, and I think mentally especially because, you know, Native Hawaiians are working to undo the impacts of more than 150, 200 years of, of settler colonialism. And then this just wipes out some of the, the, the symbolism and the uh, the 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 bright points uh, that we were hoping uh, to carry us forward. But I, I have seen a lot of uh, 
uh, funding and donations going towards um, helping Uncle Sam Ka'ai get back on his feet and uh, supporting the next generation of carvers and woodworkers to really continue uh, those efforts and maybe come out even stronger Mm. after the fire. It's interesting to hear Nolani talk about that woodworking being an act of processing trauma and now to lose that work in the fires, it's very difficult to wrap our minds around. And I'd love to hear from both of you on that after the break. Still to come, how can the history of Lahaina shape what happens next as the community recovers from the fires? We'll be back with more in a moment. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The day's top headlines, local stories from your community, your next podcast binge listen. You can have it all in one place, your pocket. Download the NPR app today. Let's get back to our conversation about Hawaii's history and culture. I want to circle back to that that issue of recovering from, from trauma. We heard the clip about how some of the woodworking um, Uncle Sam Ka'ai did, how that was a, a response to trauma, a way to heal from that trauma, and now to have it lo- be lost. Um, I hear from both of you that there's this resilience among Native Hawaiians, but what is your hope around how the trauma is addressed? What what types of mental health services um, are available to people as as they move through this recovery process, because grief, as we know, it, it's not just an emotion. It has real physical impacts. Um, it can have community impacts as well. Jessica? I think the thing to also remember is that, you know, Native Hawaiian peoples have been, people have tried to erase us many times. And so that trauma of having your things literally erased and burned down um, you know, that's that's traumatic just to have that happen again, right? Like, for instance, my, um, you know, when my dad was growing up, being Hawaiian, like, you, you kind of hit it. It was better to assimilate. Um, you know, the Hawaiian language wasn't spoken in schools. Like, it was banned for 100 years. Um, you know, the hula and a lot of our cultural practices were banned for, for over 100 years. And so there was, there's this history of erasure. And so when things like this happen, like it's, it is, it's re-traumatizing in that way. That's the sort of like generational trauma we talk about that we feel in our bones, you know? Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I think that that, you know, part of that is understanding that trauma and that it's okay to feel like to feel that way. Um, and that, uh, yeah, they're, they're definitely along with like all the basic needs that needs to be <laughs> met mm-hmm. in this moment. Um, mental health services for this and an understanding that this trauma exists and not to like sort of just look over it because it's real. And, you know, even somebody like me, and because I live so, I do live far away, I can feel that. Mm. I I'm, would love to hear your response as well, especially as someone who's focused on preserving the Hawaiian language. And, and as we know, um, a language immersion preschool was burned down in in the fires as well. How are you thinking about not just the the physical recovery, but the the mental and emotional recovery as well? Right, the Punanaleo Olahaina, the Hawaiian language immersion preschool in Lahaina was lost in the fire and, you know, that setback after, as Jessica mentioned, a ban on Hawaiian language as a language of instruction in our public schools. It's a... It's a big uh, setback, uh, I think, just mentally. But um, what I was able to do was speak to everyone in the Hawaiian language immersion community there in Lahaina, because right now we've got folks, speakers as young as, as two and three, but going all the way through elementary, middle school, and even high school, all language speakers are now thinking about the possibility of uh perhaps having their own school campus where they are able to only speak Hawaiian language because at the current in the current situation they're all housed alongside their English uh, counterparts right and so they are constantly listening to Hawaiian or to English language and the idea of immersion is to immerse these students in it so that was sort of the silver lining of that particular um incident when it comes to the language. But as a reporter, uh, being able to seek out and as a speaker, seek out those voices and also have Hawaiian language speakers interviewed for those pieces to really document the impact to the community from uh, in the Hawaiian language is, is something that I really happy we can do at this point and and even for those who might be learning or not um, familiar with the Hawaiian language just knowing that it's something that is living and and thriving is uh, gives us a little bit of a glimmer of hope. Mm. Today almost a quarter of land in Hawaii is covered by invasive plants. Jessica what is the connection that you see between those invasive plants brought over by colonists and the wildfires we saw last month. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the invasive plants that were that are more flammable that, you know, even Senator Hirono talked about those plants um, that made it easier to burn. But again, the land was dry and the, the land's not, land was dry, shrug, that's it. <laughs> the, land was, the land was, again, we, you know, used to be wetlands. It used to be a pond. It was wet, it was literally covered in water and um you know and then came the the settlers and the people who just turned the land into sugar plantations um and then the sugar plantations you know once that dried up that was the economic engine of hawaii for 100 years 
Um, but then those, that business dried up because it was cheaper to produce sugar someplace else. And so at that point, Hawaii had already become annexed to the United States because a coup of these settlers had overthrown, overthrown the um, Queen Liliuokalani, and they were backed by the U.S. government. And so when sugar dried up and we were already pretty much part of the United States, then it was like, oh, let's make it a tourism destination. And so it was paved over. So then there's concrete over this wetland. And so when we ask, why is it dry? <laughs> That's why, you know, it's dry. Uh this is this straight up. You can dot to you can line up all the dots back to colonialism. Um, well, with Hawaii's statehood in 1959, you're talking about tourism. Uh, came this boom of tourism that existed today. According to the Maui Economic Development Board, 70 percent of every dollar spent on Maui is generated by tourism. Following the wildfires, some residents reported seeing tourists swimming in the ocean and driving through recently burned down parts of Lahaina, and they talked to the BBC about what they were seeing. The same waters that our people just died in three days ago are the same waters the very next day these visitors, tourists, were swimming in. And that says a lot about where their heart and mind is through all of this and where our heart and mind is. You don't see our people swimming, snorkeling, surfing. Nobody is having fun in tragedy and continuing their lives like nothing has happened. Kuhuvehi, how is tourism on Maui being re-examined after the wildfires? Oh, we've seen this following the COVID-19 pandemic as well. But this idea that when the tourists don't come or uh, the, you know, our completely tourism dependent economy just suffers. And so now we're seeing that again, uh, leading up to the potential reopening of Hawaii or West Maui, I should say, to tourism. And there are some in the community who still don't have electricity or running water and worried that, um, you know, they're going to add tourists to that equation. And so there is some some anxiety and some frustration over what that potent immediate impact will be, but also long-term, as you mentioned, re-examining the idea of how dependent do we want to be on uh, tourism for our economic benefit. It's it's a big question, but it's also one that will be, it, it'll be challenging because we also do have a lot of local and Native Hawaiian uh, residents in the West Maui area who are working in that industry. And so they, they're they kind of caught between a, a rock and a hard place to figure out how we make that, how we write that ship. Uh, it's going to take, it's going to take a long time. And tourism accounts for 75% of all private sector jobs on Maui. So it's a, a big consideration. Some residents reported getting calls from realtors offering to buy land following the fires. Jessica, as someone who has written about Hawaii's history, how are you thinking about the pitfalls, possible pitfalls, and the opportunities that are present in this moment? Yeah, I mean, the state has notoriously put tourism over its residents first. Um, You know, and so I think that that really actively needs to shift let's you know for instance you know i i, I want to say like only one hotel in all of hawaii is um owned by native hawaiians like 
25% of all residential homes um, are owned by people who don't live in Hawaii. Um, you know, there's just like this emphasis, you know, like half of native Hawaiians don't even live in Hawaii anymore. They've been priced out. It's too expensive to live here. Even, you know, people who work in the tourism industry, locals who work in the tourism industry, a lot of them only get paid a living wage or barely a living wage. They work two jobs. You know, this is on Oahu in Waikiki, not in Lahaina. But, you know, for a long time, hotel workers used to live on this street in Waikiki that was like less desirable. And over the last 10 years or so, developers have come in and like either taken over those buildings and made them Airbnbs or ripped them apart. And now hotel workers, you know, tourism industry workers who are living in Waikiki have to live super far out and so they can afford to live in Hawaii. And so I feel like that is a great example of like how the state hasn't taken any protections to protect locals from being pushed out of their their home. And so I think that that, that would be something that, that the state really needs to start reckoning with because, again, like Huawei said, like this started, you know, it really sort of like came to a head in COVID. I mean, Native Hawaiians and activists have been talking about it forever, but it really became more conscious on, to, on a local community level then. And I feel like there's, there needs to be some reckoning. There's a way to divest in tourism and the state really needs to start thinking about it. Kulavehi, I'm curious what you'll be watching as you continue to cover these recovery efforts and and the way in which Native Hawaiian voices are are centered in the vision moving forward. I'll be looking for exactly that, uh, ensuring that Native Hawaiians have a voice at the table, but also uh, looking at how they want to see Lahaina rebuilt. I think that's something that uh, we all need to be paying attention to, and we definitely will be here at Hawaii Public Radio. That's Ku'uvehi Hiraishi. She's a general assignment reporter at Hawaii Public Radio, and she joined us very early in the morning from Honolulu. We appreciate you being here. Also with us, Jessica Machado. She's a journalist and the author of the memoir, Local. It's a look into her Hawaiian heritage and Hawaii's culture and history. Thanks to you both. Today's producer was Arfi Getty. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Let's talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. 
take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.